That's the beauty of worshiping God. Is as much as we long to fellowship with Him, He longs to meet with us too. Amen. He doesn't wait for us to prove ourselves to come and meet with us. All we got to do is take that step of faith, and He's there. Amen. This morning. <clears throat> As you turn in the Bibles, I want to look at a very interesting man in the Bible. And it's, I'm kind of building on my sermon last Sunday, which I kind of finished halfway and was going to keep going. It's the story of Zacchaeus, and I know we started from there in Luke chapter 19, because the story is really about a short man who came to find Jesus, and Jesus met with him too, right? Short man who climbed up a tree and... If you've been in church, uh, everybody knows who Zacchaeus is. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And like I said, I used the verse in chapter 10. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, which says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And this whole, uh, it's kind of the culmination of what Jesus was doing here. And <clears throat> we went back and basically looked at the three parables of, of where Jesus, you know, portrays and gives us this whole idea of God seeking. Seeking the lost. For the Son of Man and uh, the Son of Man, and again, this whole title of Son of Man uh, points to His humanity where God came down. Why? Because He was seeking. God came down and, you know, came down with one purpose, to seek and save the lost. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people who saw this, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner kind of expect that reaction by now but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord Lord look, uh, look Lord here and now I give half my possession to the poor and if I have cheated anybody of anything I will pay back four times the amount verse 9 Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham and then the verse which ties everything together. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. Another translation says, to the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Like I said, this last verse there in that section kind of, I feel is the most valuable and the most important truth about Scripture itself because from the beginning, that was the whole intention of God. That is why He came. That is the whole purpose of this whole book, teaching us salvation or the history of salvation. And the whole idea is God seeking and saving the lost. We talked about it last Sunday that that is the true heart of God itself right from uh, the Garden of Eden. When man, Adam and Eve kind of messed up, ate from the fruit and they were hiding from God. And we say God in chapter 3 comes and asks the question, goes looking for them, asks the question, where are you? That's the whole idea of God seeking after Adam and Eve who had sinned. And that's the story from the beginning of the book to the very end. God is on one business, the business of seeking at those who are lost. And again, that is so foundational to the word of God. That has to be our foundational understanding on why we exist as a church too. Not to make each other look good or to make me look good or anybody on stage look good. But one purpose alone, to seek, go looking for those who are lost. Of course, we looked at those beautiful passages in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34, 16, where God says again, he's quoting God. He says, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the weak. God is a seeker of the lost. Again, this is foundational to who we are. And I thank God for who we are because in our sinfulness, in our fallenness, in our ignorance, in our lostness, I want to take a moment because this whole idea, the word lost, and I don't know how many of you heard the story recently. It was this week or the last, I mean, this past couple of weeks, within the past couple of weeks about this uh, uh, older couple who were camping in California, and they went out, they were in this, uh, in this cabin, and they went out for a walk, and got dark, and they lost their way. And of course, the people who came, they were supposed to check out on that Sunday, or whatever that day, and the people came, and they found their wallets, the cell phones, the car, everything was still lying by the cabin, and they automatically knew, hey, something's gone wrong, something's happened, and so they mobilized the search party, and the police, and everybody else, rescue party, and it took them seven days, and they found this uh, this couple, six or seven days, and they found this couple, and they, were, they had survived. But understanding that you are lost, and that whatever you try will never bring you back sometimes. In the spiritual sense, we will never find our way back to God, unless God comes seeking for us. Amen. And that's exactly what he does. seeks the last sometimes we get we try and we can try our best you know in the real world we try our best to find our way back and we do find our way back in the physical world but let me tell you this unless the lord initiates that Amen. it's not gonna happen Amen. you can try all you want to try but you will never find 
what you are looking for unless you respond to what God is doing. Unless you respond to that call, where are you? And step up and say, here I am, God. He gave up everything. Realize he gave up everything. Paul writes that in Philippians chapter 2. Gave up everything because he loved us so much to not leave us in our sinful state. Became man so that we can be saved. And the whole idea of being saved there, the whole idea of lostness is actually the word is more about total destruction. We will be totally destroyed and nothing if it wasn't for God who came down through his son Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. The son of man again refers to his uh, his, his humanity and the whole incarnation and realize and more than ever and I, t- I say this to a lot of people Jesus never came to be a good teacher to show us how to live a good life no he came here to save us that's what salvation is all about the living of a good life comes after all that as we seek to follow him that's when things fall together and of course, this whole idea of lostness, again, we talked about it last week, is emphasized a lot, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Because again, understand, Luke is not a Jew. Luke is a Greek. He's coming from totally lost. He had no clue of the law or anything of that sort, right? Other, at least these people had the law and some concept of God. But he was totally lost and he came to know Christ. And so he understands the heart of God. And that's why uh, the parable of, in 15 makes sense. And now 19 just is another example of how he saves the lost. Verse 1, Jesus enters Jericho and is passing through. Now again, Jericho... We know Jericho from the days of Joshua and everything else. But Jericho, by the time of the Romans, was a very, it was a very prosperous city. It was a wealthy city. It was uh, a good, uh, a, a, it was just from a few miles from the River Jordan. Okay, and so it had this prosperity that was always there in Jericho. But also with its prosperity came the corruptness because it wasn't really a, a Jewish or a Christian community as such. And so there was this uh, corruption in there and in the middle of this city, Jesus is, is coming. Uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem, we know that. And so he goes through Jericho, him and his disciples. Now you got to realize that Jesus, is, it's not just him and his 12 people right now. Jesus, there's a crowd following him. They're going through Jericho and also now it's the time of the Passover. So there are other if you want to use the word pilgrims on this journey too. So it's not just Jesus by himself with these 12 and a few other disciples. The, there is a crowd gathering because everybody's going to Jerusalem for the Passover. You have these pilgrims and as it was the custom, whenever these pilgrims going through uh, a city, these people would, you know, the people would come out and like, hey, because they recognize, you know, these are these guys going to the holy city. Hey, do you need something? Do you need some water? Do you need something to drink? And so there's always this basic hospitality that was, that was shown to a, a person going on his journey. And now you can think about it because you know what? There's the Jesus factor in there. So there is a bigger than normal crowd because, again, think about it. This is Jericho. Jericho to Jerusalem on the way is a town called Bethany. And guess who was raised from the dead in Bethany? Lazarus, just a few miles down from Jericho, and I have no doubt 
Remember, Jericho's on the, on the valley going up to the mountain in Jericho, right? Uh, to Jerusalem. And so you have Bethany in the middle. And of course, they've heard what Jesus did in, 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 in Bethany with Lazarus. And so there is a bigger than usual crowd. So you have this crowd of people with Jesus, then you have this extra crowd of people who are going to the Passover, and then you have, you have the people coming out to meet these pilgrims, and now extra people showing up because they've heard, you know, this is the guy who raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's in this context you understand Zacchaeus' problem now. Because you got to understand the, these people following Jesus, there's some kind of excitement in there because, you know, they're just following this, you know, this religious leader as such, you know, different from the others. And could this be the Messiah? I'm sure that question is in their minds already. He's, it's in their minds. Is this the Messiah? You know, and so this is this, uh, you know, they've seen, if not seen, they've heard about his miraculous deeds. And so this excitement is getting there because there's this teacher who's not like the, the teachers that they know about. Raise this guy from the dead, man of God for sure. Could this be the Messiah? And so you hear, you can sense the rumors that are going around and sense the excitement and curiosity in the crowd. And when he came there, like I said, he's there. And of course, Zacchaeus is trying to figure this out too. You got to realize that it's in front of this massive crowd that at the end Zacchaeus stands up and makes his confession about and salvation in Christ. It's kind of powerful when you think about the people that were there. Always remember, we always talk about it being a story of Zacchaeus, but I'm more and more reminded it's not a story of Zacchaeus. It's more the story of Jesus going and saving the lost again. He entered... Jericho and he was passing through and verse 2 says there and a, a man <clears throat> was there by the name Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now we know about tax collectors already. We talked about it a little last week. They were the worst of the worst. They were like I said at least in the eyes of the Jews they were at the bottom. That's it. Nobody less than them and they were treated like that too because again they were traitors right they were traitors they had betrayed their own to serve the romans pagans and what did they do they basically extorted crazy amounts of money from them for one purpose to profit for themselves nothing else to line their own pa pockets and it says what they hated the tax collector and guess who zacchaeus is he is the chief of the tax collectors that means the other tax collectors it was a pyramid scheme. We all know about Amway and all these places, right? You know what the pyramid schemes are all about, right? Yeah. Everybody has to get If you want to get a franchise, you got to go to bribe the Romans. You get a franchise. And now this guy, you know, you want a franchise? Okay, 20% or whatever he collected. I don't know. From these guys. So he was rich. Nothing matter. He didn't have to do a single thing. He didn't probably have to go and collect taxes. Everybody else collected the taxes and he got his cut. So he is as corrupt as it gets right there. He's the boss. Of course, they are outcasts from Jewish society. We know, just tradition tells us, they weren't allowed in the Sanhedrin with the other Jews. They were definitely not allowed in the temple because the priests would basically spit on them, cuss them out, and kick them out. So you know that was there, who they were. I mean, they, you would never hang out. A normal, respectable Jew would never hang out with a tax collector because then you were defiled. 
But we know that Jesus, this is his speciality group as such. And in Luke, again, by the time you come here, this is the sixth time he's talking about tax collectors. And in a very, like you said, in a good way. Not in the way that the other Jews talked about them. So you have Zacchaeus, the chief, the chief tax collector. And what does his name mean? It's kind of really ironic because his name means innocent or pure. He kind of became the exact opposite of what his parents were hoping for when they named him Zacchaeus, I think. <laughs> kind of irony that right there, innocent and pure, righteous, clean, but he was the most corrupt. That's who he was. And it's kind of interesting, and I always point to this and think about it. It's interesting that Luke identifies him by name because he's the only other tax collector beside Matthew that's identified by, by his name. And why would Luke identify Zacchaeus when, realize Luke is writing Luke and Acts to Theophilus, right? If you read Acts, it tells you who he's writing to. Why would he name Zacchaeus? Of course, you realize that church tradition teaches us that Zacchaeus, uh, actually Clement of Alexandria, he's the first one who mentions that Zacchaeus was a leader the first bishop of the church in Caesarea. And so it's pretty obvious if you're going to mention someone's name, the reader's got to know who he's talking about. And so he's Zacchaeus who becomes like the pastor of this church in Caesarea. That same Zacchaeus, that's why he's mentioned by name here. And by the way, it's interesting. This is again, church tradition. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Church tradition holds him as the pastor then. After Zacchaeus, it's kind of interesting because they say that Cornelius, that's who Paul was talking, I mean, uh, the jailer. He's the one who followed Cornelius as the pastor of that church. So it's kind of interesting that these names, very specific names are identified. But you hear what happens here. This is Zacchaeus and most likely, again, this guy that people knew when they read the book, right? Later, Luke is writing, uh, what, around 75, 80, somewhere around there. Okay, and so people know who he is. And so he identifies Zacchaeus by name. Anyway, verse 3, it says, he wanted to see... Who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He was trying to get a glimpse of who Jesus was, who this guy is, basically, right? He's heard the stories, but he actually has two problems. The crowd is unusually big, and he is short. And I really, he wanted to see Jesus but was it just curiosity or was there something more? And I tend to believe there was definitely something more. That's definitely something more because we see the heart of a tax collector in the prayer of a tax collector shown a few chapters earlier. Because this tax collector is very aware of his own heart, his own sinfulness when he says that prayer. He can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He bows his head and he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. So I think it's pretty, pretty okay and to assume that Zacchaeus was not just curious to see who Jesus was. There's something working in his heart already, a dissatisfied heart, knowing that he's alienated from God, that he really has no hope. He's overwhelmed by his guilt, his sin, his shame. Yet there is this teacher who doesn't look at him the way the other people look at him and he's going to go and see what this is about. Something about Jesus and what he had heard about Jesus doesn't, okay, the crowd is too big. You know, I can't make it. I'll come back maybe another time. No. It was definitely more than curiosity. 
that drove him to do something that no other Middle Eastern man, wealthy Middle Eastern man would do. I think it was exactly his heart. God was working in his heart already. And like I said, it is safe to assume that this curiosity was because the Holy Spirit was working in his heart for a divine appointment with God itself. Let me share this. The Holy Spirit works in people's hearts whether we recognize it or not. We may see them as the most... There is no hope for someone like that, the most miserable sinner there ever is. And we can look at them and not realize that the Holy Spirit is still working in them. If we have the same heart of Jesus going looking for the sinners, there is a divine appointment that he is called to and we are called to. If we say sensitive to the Holy Spirit rather than look at them the way the Jews looked at the, the tax collectors. Be sensitive that the Lord uses you. You don't know what's working in their heart. Don't lose. Don't miss out on an opportunity to share your faith. You don't know how God is working in their heart. You share your faith. It's the divine. Like I said, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to work and make things click. You never know. Zacchaeus here, two problems, like I said. Too big a crowd, too short a man, and then, of course, Knowing people disliked him, they're not going to make any room for him, right? They're not going to be like, okay, let's, let's accommodate him here. No, they're not. But he's determined to see who Jesus is, and he sets aside basically all, all basically embarrassment. He's not worried about embarrassing himself anymore. He ran ahead. And then he did what? First of all, he ran, and second, he climbed into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus. Because he knew Jesus was going to pass that way. He knew the route as such or the street or whatever. He knew where Jesus was going and he goes, finds a sycamore tree. And if you know, again, sycamore tree, you all know this if you're in church already. It's, this, it's a short, it's a, it's a stout tree with low branches basically. You know, so someone short could easily climb up and get up there and take a view or whatever. Look over the crowd as such. And so he gets comfortable in that tree and as he gets there and he waits for Jesus in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. For today, I must stay at your house. I always, whenever I read that story, I'm always surprised that Zacchaeus didn't fall off from that tree. It really, because he would never have expected something like that, right? Never expected someone, you know, to cast the eyes of Jesus Because all this crowd is seeking for Jesus, looking for Jesus' attention, you know. And he's just wanting, he would never have dreamed that Jesus would know him by name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And really, it's like, it's in Zacchaeus' mind, it's like three strikes. How did he not fall down? First of all, Jesus stopped and looked at him. Number two, he knew his name. And third, I'm going to come to your house. I mean, what other shock does he need, really? Verse 6, of course, tells them, he hurried and came down and received him gladly. You need to realize right there that Jesus doesn't ask him to come down. It's an imperative right there. 
He doesn't tell him, hey, can you come down? It's a command. Get down. Here now. Understand the word today. The, the sense of, you know, there is this divine appointment right now. Yeah. Come down right now. Of course, him not expecting anything comes down and you see his obedience is enthusiastic. He came down in a hurry and went as well as received him gladly. Yeah. Welcomed him in. Shows, if, if I can say, his hungry heart. Shows, lends to the fact that he is hungry and, and he couldn't have anticipated this. Yet he realizes that there's something that's happening right now. No one would ever come to his house, let alone this real leader, this, this probable Messiah. Come and stay with him, eat a meal with him. Because that's what it was all about, is affirming him as a person. Amazing, always. Yes, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but it was Jesus who was looking for Zacchaeus way before that. Hurried and came down and received him gladly. And of course, by verse 7, we know what to expect from the people. The people grumble. Because again, no respectable Jew, let alone the promised Messiah, would go to his house. Because he would basically be a partaker of the evil that this man has, has done. He'll be contaminated by the corruption by this guy, defiled by this guy. But Jesus goes to his house because he is not about doing what people say. He's about doing what his father's business is. Amen. His father's business is all about seeking and saving the lost. He knows exactly who he is hanging out with. He knows exactly who Zacchaeus is even without ever meeting him before. Amen. It's interesting how the Bible always points to this this contrast between the sinner who receives Christ gladly versus the people who grumble and ultimately reject him. They never get it. The people of Israel never really got up because they were so caught up in their own self-righteous religious, you know, uh, religious, that religion that had been taught by these Pharisees and these scribes and Sadducees. And they're so caught up with this that they're totally ignorant to the heart of God and blind to the purpose of why he would send a Messiah itself to seek and save the lost. And so as stunned as Zacchaeus is, the people are as as, as equally stunned by what Jesus is going to do. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, is just welcomes Jesus, uh, what to say, gladly. Zacchaeus came. And I think that, that itself lends to the fact that he was more than just curious. He responds joyfully because God is working in his heart and you see what happens here. And you got to realize this is not about bragging rights for him, you know. So far, you know, you guys have been making fun of me. But now look, the main guy, the guest of the party wants to hang out with me. It wasn't about bragging rights at all. Though that would have been his nature, really. You know he's working and you know that God is working in his heart because you see verse 8. And Zacchaeus stopped and said, look, Lord. Here and now I give half my possessions. I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded or cheated anyone, anything, I will give back four times that amount. It's amazing. Something happened between verse 7 and verse 8. 
Something happened between verse 7 where Jesus tells him to come down and he comes down gladly. And then verse 8. Because what happens is one man who's a corrupt chief tax collector all of a sudden becomes the most generous man in town. <coughs> a man who's defined by selfishness is now totally unselfish. Something has happened and, and I'm kind of glad that there is no description of the conversation that happened there when Jesus really goes to his house. I don't think we need it because sometimes we, we, we want that, you know, did he really repent? Did he really confess? And, you know, we want to, 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 to hear the story as such. But I think Jesus recognizes his conviction of sin in his heart and recognizes the emptiness and the lostness. And Jesus addresses it, really. As he talks, as he talks back and replies, the evidence, I mean, and let me say this. I'm glad there was no record of a, a repentant prayer. Because the evidence of salvation wasn't in the prayer. The evidence of salvation was what he did. Amen. That's the difference. Because you can say the sinner's prayer a million times. But if your life is not transformed, that's not evidence of salvation at all. Amen. That's the evidence we see in salvation. The evidence is seen by the fruit, by the way, the transformed life that he lives. Amen. And Jesus validates this conviction and transformation saying what? Today, salvation has come to this house. <coughs> Zacchaeus isn't playing a game here just to get brownie points from Christ at all. He's not trying to impress Jesus or the people. Because what's happening in his heart is real. The transformation, the change in his heart. Suddenly all this emptiness that we've seen in the hearts of the tax collectors. That same emptiness that he has in his heart is met when he meets and has this conversation with Jesus Christ. Amen. And that transforms his life. Amen. <coughs> it's kind of interesting because it says like he has stopped. And I think the word there actually in the Greek has an implication of him actually standing up. And I think the older, some of the other translations say he stood up. The truth is not about a physical standing up. It's about the more implication is more about taking a stand. Amen. He takes a stand because now he's convinced about he's met Jesus. He has his conviction in his heart and he stands up. And he makes a stand today. You know what? I'll give back everything I have. <coughs> I'll give back half my possessions to the poor. Where does the idea of restitution come back from? It comes in Leviticus, where actually in Leviticus it tells us that, I think it was 20%, you have to pay back 50, uh, a fifth of what you cheated someone else. You can read it in Leviticus somewhere, one of the laws, it says, I think you've got to pay back 20%. If you cheated someone, you give back what, they, what you cheated them off, and then you give back another 20%, because that was like, kind of like the interest that they could have got while you cheated them. But he goes above and beyond. Not the 20%, I'll give away half. Yeah. I won't give back 20%. I'm going to give four times what I took from them. Uh -huh. That's total transformation. Total transformation. And Jesus says today salvation has come to this house. And then the last part there. Because he too is a son. 
of Abraham. And why throw that in there suddenly? What in the world does it mean that he was a son of Abraham? This whole idea of restoration to his right. He was a Jew, right? His name is Zacchaeus. This whole idea of restoration to his rightful place takes us back a few chapters to another story of a prodigal who came back. And the father restored him to his original position. It's the same thing reflected right here. Zacchaeus, a man broken, lost, totally buried under the burden of sin and shame, comes face to face with Christ. And God restores him as a son. His rightful place as an heir to Abraham again. So I said, as much as the story of the prodigal, I mean, we talk about the prodigal, we know the story is about the father. As much as we talk about Zacchaeus, the story is about Jesus seeking the lost, seeking a sinner. What sin has broken, God seeks to restore. Think about it right in the beginning again. This relationship that we had with God was destroyed by sin. Was destroyed by sin. But God takes the initiative to restore that relationship. Restore. All we got to do is respond to the gift of salvation through his son Jesus Christ. Reminder again that he came to seek and save the lost. I want to close with four truths right here. I know I've preached this sermon so many times, but it always just encourages me so much. Jesus has one, one, one purpose. Not to go running after all these self-righteous people. Yes, he preached to them too. There were people, you have Nicodemus and you have the other people, Joseph Arimathea. There are these people who responded too. But he himself said, I didn't come, you know. The sick are the ones who need a doctor. Reminds us so much of that. And it helps me as I look to God. But I want to end with a few points of of application right here. Zacchaeus' story encourages me because I realize no matter how small I am or how small I feel, Jesus still knows me. He notices me. Zacchaeus was wealthy and he was lonely. He was small. He was insignificant in his own eyes and in the eyes of everybody around them. But he ran and climbed a tree and Jesus got to the tree. He stopped and looked up. Jesus notices you. Doesn't matter what you feel about yourself. How you feel about yourself. You may beat yourself down because you may be feeling, un- or you may be under this burden of sin and guilt, or it doesn't matter. Because He sees you, notices you, pays attention to you, knows exactly where Zacchaeus is, He knows exactly where you are. Even when you're running away from God, He knows where you are. And He notices you. Please realize there's never been a moment in your life that God did not know where you are. Why? Because he created you. He knows where you are. He knows you. 
Church, let me say this. I don't know where you are in your own walk with Christ or in your life, in your spiritual life, but realize this. Nobody around you may know, but God knows. Amen. Turn to Him. Seek Him. Because He notices you. Second thing I see here that applies to me is while people may push me away and ignore me and cast me out like the Jews did, Jesus still accepts me. Amen. He still accepts me. In a crowd that was almost, if I can use the word, hostile to a person like a sinner, a chief among the sinners like Zacchaeus was. Rejected by people, Jesus still accepted him. Jesus knew him by name and accepted him. Jesus accepts us, doesn't matter whether people accept us or not. So it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what people say about you. You matter to God and Jesus knows who you are. And here's the thing that I think is, is really amazing. Your past doesn't matter because God can still use you. Amen. Amen. Doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done, how long you've done it, with who you've done it, whatever. Jesus can still use you. Salvation is for everybody. And you see the story of Zacchaeus goes more than just Luke 19. We know God raised him up to be a leader in the early church. And if God can use Zacchaeus, the chief of all the the lowest of the lows, he can use anybody else. Because he's all about seeking and saving the lost and changing, transforming lives that were going one direction and transforming and changing them and sending them in the direction for which he calls them. No matter what you've done, Jesus can still use you. I realize, you know, Zacchaeus was short and I I realize that I fall short in many ways, even though I'm not short. I fall short as as a man, a father, a pastor. I fall short, but I'm not going to allow I'm not going to allow what people say about me or how I feel about myself to be buried with guilt and shame because God can and will still use me. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. He's not worried about where you've been and where you're coming from. Meet him face to face and he does the work in your life. The overarching theme that I want to say it. It doesn't matter because he will always love you. He will always love you. That's why he came. That's why he came. Let me say this. Quit trying to find your own way and accept the way that he has given you. Quit trying to do it your own way and try and figure it out. You know, if people accept me, because Zacchaeus, one of the reasons he wanted to be, he, people hated him, but he wants to be popular. You can see that. That's the desire for Zacchaeus. It's the desire for each one of us Amen. to be accepted by people, to be recognized by people, to be, if I want to say, I want to be cool in the eyes of everybody else. But if you base your life on the opinions of others, you will never be who God has called you to be. 
Because one day you will be popular, the next day you will be abandoned and cast out. But Jesus' love for you will never change. All you got to do is get off your high horse, come down and serve him, and he will transform your life. He sees who you are, knows who you are. He came with one purpose, to seek and to save that were lost. If you keep fighting it and don't recognize your own lostness, you will never be found. Bow your heads with me at this time. Such a familiar story, like I said, everybody knows the story. If you've been in church, you know the story. But every time I read the story, I realize that in some way, shape, or form, it just reflects my own life. Because at one point, there was a point in my life, and I know each one of us can say that, that we were spiritually dead defiled, slaves of sin, burdened by guilt, living in isolation, alienated from God. What else can I say? Ignorant, living in darkness, living for ourselves, and that's it. We were all like Zacchaeus at one point or the other. But thank God, because he loves us, he came looking for us. Because he loves us, he came looking for us. He didn't want us to be stuck in sin, dirt, filth. He didn't want us to live lives in brokenness. He didn't want us to live lives, live our lives being lost totally, not knowing where to go. He doesn't want us to live lives under the burden of sin and sin and, and guilt and shame. That's why he sent his son Jesus. many people who are just so blinded by the power blinded by the lies the enemy has fed that they don't even recognize that they are lost What is our calling? We first got to be like Zacchaeus first. Recognize we are lost. We need him. And when we got him, we got to appreciate always. That's the humbling part. Because we realize we didn't 
deserve grace just because we earned it. We deserve nothing except judgment and death. Yet he chooses us to pour out his grace because he's a God who seeks and saves the lost. Let's not take that for granted and let's let's be grateful for that. Let's recognize that in our lives. Yeah, I've been a Christian, I don't know, 30-something years. And he's like, yay, I've been saved. But I realized today, as much as I did when I was a young kid, if it wasn't for grace, I would not be here. And I'm grateful for his love in my life. I'm grateful that he came seeking after me when I was lost. And if we've experienced that grace... Let me tell you, it transforms your life. It transforms the way you live your life. And if you haven't experienced that in your own life, I encourage you right now, today is the day you can experience here. Today, Salvation is available because of what Christ has done. And even as every head is bowed and all eyes are closed, I've got to give you this invitation once again. Maybe you've known and said the prayer and walked away and done your own thing. But today is the day you can come back to Him. I'm not going to embarrass you and call you forward at this time, but as all heads are bowed and all eyes closed, I just want you to slip your hand up because then I can pray for you too. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Just realize He is going to work in you now. Now, church, for the rest of us, can we grab a hold of God's heart here again? Last Sunday and this Sunday too. Realize that the Holy Spirit is working in people's lives who are lost. Jesus isn't going to be walking down the streets here, but we are called to be His hands and His feet, doing the same thing that He did, seeking those who are lost. I pray that we will be committed to, to being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. To be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. and When there's an opportunity, we'll be bold enough to tell people. Bold enough to tell people about Jesus. God, there's so much out there, Lord. There's nothing, God. There's nothing in me, in my own doing. Yet you call me, Lord. When people ignore you, cast you out, no, Jesus cares for you. When people may not, you may be insignificant, 
insignificant and feel that way too small. Jesus knows who you are. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how bad your past is. He can and He will still use you. That's the good news. That's the good news. I want to be used by God. I want to be used by God. It's a privilege. It's not something that I do proud or braggingly. I just realize if He's worked in me, He will work in others. And He will work through me. Thank you, God.